This is the word of the Lord from Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. For I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at a hundred years old will be mourned as a young man, and the one who misses a hundred years will be considered cursed. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. But the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. Well, good morning, church. My name is Myung, one of the pastors here. Uh, Very excited to be up here with you guys. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Can you believe this week is December? And we are heading into the Advent series coming up. And this wraps up our Isaiah survey series. We're done. This is the last week. Hope you guys were blessed by the teaching of Isaiah by our various pastors and excited that we got to go through the book of Isaiah. Before we begin, let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, as a a people chosen by you, your children, we get to have a greater hope of the new heavens and the new earth. This isn't our final destination. So Lord, I ask that as we hear your words, we would have a, a renewed hope and joy. And we will go out um, just being excited, Lord, being changed by your word and excited to share the good message. Lord, be with me. Help me to preach um, only what you want me to preach. And may it all just glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. I think we all like to sit in the same seats, whether you're flying or you're at class or you're at church. I think I've gotten to know many of you, if not all of you, even the new people, where I know generally where you guys all like to sit. Upstairs, downstairs, left side of the stage, right side of the stage, the middle. Some of you might say, I don't like to sit in the same seat. I have two or three choices of seats. Well, I know where those two or three sections are also. <laughs> and that's a cycle, just like we, we have rhythms. And when I was growing up, I had a favorite seat in class. I love to sit next to windows. The window seat was my jam. In class, I would always gravitate towards picking the window seat. And it's because I had a longing 
a longing to be outside of class, that the window seat was the closest thing for me to feel like I was outside of class. It's at these moments I mastered a skill that I like to call daydreaming. I became very good at it. I would daydream about all kinds of things. So I would sit at my desk, usually like this, look outside the window, and I would daydream about all kinds of things. I would daydream about the ice cream flavor that I was going to get after I got off the bus. I would daydream about a new basketball move I was going to try at the park that evening. I daydreamed about relaxing at the beach and the beach volleyball is going to play, the warm sun between my toes, I mean the warm sand between my toes. I also daydreamed about making discretionary income. How am I going to make money so I could buy what I want? I also dreamed about more serious things like a better family life. I also daydreamed about getting married and having my own family and being a dad all things that I would daydream about. But this one teacher that I had was a Spanish teacher. She often interrupted these great sessions of daydreaming and would be yelling, Myung, ¿qué estás haciendo? For you don't speak English Spanish, that means, what are you doing? And I would respond to her, no habla español. Which means I don't speak Spanish. So stop asking me what I'm doing. Did you know that excessive daydreaming is a disorder known as maladaptive daydreaming? I don't know who comes up with this stuff. I call it a laboratory of imagination. For all the kids here that are listening, mostly upstairs, I'm not telling you to daydream. So this is a situation where it's purely do as I say, not as I do, okay? Don't daydream in class. Don't daydream here while you're worshiping. Well, I'll get to that a little later. So how am I going to tie in daydreaming and this example of daydreaming to the new heavens and the new earth? Well, I want to explain to you that underneath all my daydreaming communicated a yearning, more specifically, a hope of something better and a a better life, something greater than what I was experiencing. Paul in the Bible actually tells us that hope is one of the greatest Christian virtues in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So if you want to know what what some of the Christian virtues are, it's a great place to read that hope is one of them. And for Christians, we hope in the promises of God that includes that promise that this life isn't our final destination. Here's what Augustine and C.S. Lewis has to say about the hope for our future. Augustine says this in his handbook on faith, hope, and love. Now the virtue by which which the will is so perfected is the theological virtue of hope. It is commonly defined as a divinely infused virtue by which we trust with an unshaken confidence grounded on the divine assistance to attain life everlasting. In the book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, 
all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. So don't let them stop you from daydreaming. I'm not going to let them stop. Both Augustine and Lewis are alluding to our hope of a new heaven and a new earth as our final destination. Our final destination described in Revelation 21 as this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Isn't that beautiful? Does this seem too ethereal or intangible to you guys? Anyone? It does to me. I think to me, what I see all around us is a broken world that's been marred, has been tainted by sin and death. I think trails of brokenness every path you look. I read wars going on everywhere. And I keep track of Florida news because I'm from Florida. And in Florida, there's crazy things happening all the time, including people getting eaten by alligators. So there's wars going on in other parts of the country, people getting eaten by alligators in one part of the country. God's chosen people in Isaiah felt very similarly. As they are coming out of exile, these are people who are exhausted in many ways without hope. So what does God do? I think we were treated with the last uh, few sermons where we see that God's love of poetic language given to his people And so we see something similar. The book is about to conclude, and chapter 65 is no different. We are seeing, again, a poetic writing of love from God, a hope, a picture of the future, really the blueprints of what life will look like for those who are his children. When all things are made new, he wants to give you He wants to give his people, the readers of Isaiah, hope. So we start seeing God who is, in verses 17 and 18, who in the beginning created all things, once again, back at work, starting to create. This is what verse 17 and 18 says. For I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I will create New Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I did a little search on the word create. The Hebrew word create in Isaiah 65, 17 is actually the same word used in Genesis when God was creating the earth for the first time, when he was forming and fashioning all things. Let me ask you this. What happens if you have children, or maybe this was your experience, when your older kids or you have built Legos? You've spent hours and hours building this Lego masterpiece, and their younger sibling comes through the doors, or your younger sibling came in through the door, slaps it all down, crumbles to the ground, just to see what would happen, says the younger child. Do you want to build it again? Do they want to build it again? What's their reaction? Is it one of, oh man, that must have been fun. 
it's okay. I'll make it again. Does that happen? Or is it more of they get frustrated? They storm out and they don't want to build it again. Or we just had Thanksgiving. So let's say that you're having Thanksgiving dinner with a bunch of guests and you work so hard on this green bean casserole. Or, which is something that no one should eat, like some sort of jello pudding of some kind. And then you see these little hands coming up the countertops as you're working. And you see them stick their finger in and pull the dish down. Crashes down. Loud bang. Glass everywhere. Food everywhere. The Thanksgiving dish that you worked so hard on is now destroyed. Do you want to clean it up and say, it's okay. It's okay, son. We all want to stick our fingers into dishes that you want to eat in. I'll just, I'll just make it again. We, we love you. Or do you get upset and say, never again will you stick your hand up on the counter and you just clean it up and no one is going to have jello pudding. <laughs> Unlike us, when we get impatient or we don't want to recreate things that were destroyed, we see that a patient and loving God who is once again telling us that he's creating and building all over again. Not only is God creating, but strange and amazing things are happening. The strangeness that I'm talking about is this idea that the past events will not be remembered or come to mind. This teaching actually continues from an earlier passage in verse 16 when we see a divine forgetfulness. Biblical scholar Alec Modier says, the former troubles or brokenness will not be remembered by God because he is faithful to his promises. So we get to benefit and receive from God's divine forgetfulness to bring to life verse 17 that says, the past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Divine forgetfulness. This is not some sort of amnesia that goldfish have. It's not some sort of blocking out and waking up not remembering something. It's a picture of something fading away into such imperceptible amounts that what's being experienced so dwarfs what you experienced or remember that it just fades away. Does this make sense? Yeah? Oftentimes, I think when I hear people talk about national parks or going to somewhere like the Grand Canyon, they, they share with me this similar sentiment. People say something like, wow, what we saw was so amazing that we forgot that our children were screaming and puking in the back seat just a few minutes ago. The Grand Canyon, when we stepped out of our car, was so amazing that this fight that my husband and I were all having, I can't even remember what we were fighting about. It's similar to that. Let me give you another example without putting my foot in my mouth. There's this thing called the halo effect for new moms. New moms or moms, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Halo effect? I'm going to explain it to you. The halo effect is referred to 
a term given to describe this positive emotion experienced by new mothers when the baby is placed in her arms for the first time. This is what a, a, a mom mothering website in Australia says. So don't quote me on this. This is just a mothering website in Australia. It says this. In the moment, amidst a rush of oxytocin and happiness, the mother is likely to have a more positive view of the birth experience than she did 10 minutes earlier. (laughs) Simply put, the happiness of holding her baby for the first time overpowers any pain or negativity from the birth. Overpowers any pain or negativity from the birth. If you're a new mom, maybe you can... Uh, understand that feeling. Or some mom, you might say, that halo effect, it lasted all about two minutes. What I'm trying to say is that the things of today, no matter how amazing it seems, will pale in comparison to the glory of God's new creation. It's forever we see that it's to be glad and rejoice forever in verse 18. That's the kicker. It's not just temporary. It's not this halo effect that disappears when your children become teenagers. It's forever. And I did some Hebrew study on the word forever, and you know what it means? Forever. (laughs) It's not just slapping a coat of paint on an ugly wall, hoping that it will cover up all the ugliness. It's, things, it's, it's that things are forever need to be more than cosmetic. You all know that when you buy a house and you're remodeling and you want it to look good, you can't just slap a, paint, a, coat, a coat of paint on it. If you want it to be permanent, it needs to start at the foundation. So you see, the new heavens and the new earth is not just this intangible fantasy. There's a reason why we have this amazing hope of a new heavens and a new earth. And it exists as Christians, we believe, because of the work of Jesus. The first man, Adam, who lived in an amazing sinless garden, had this, but he messed things up. My Spanish teacher would say, Adam, por qué, Adam, por qué? Why? You see, Romans 5 teaches us that sin and death enter through one man, and all of us have sin that leads to death. We just mess things up. We're the ones that slap all the Legos down, stick our sticky booger-covered fingers into everything that God makes. We are the ones that mess things up. Just take a look at what's happening in the world. But Jesus, who was sinless, born as a man, taking on our sin, all our mess-ups, nailed on the cross in our place. You heard the saying, you break it, you buy it? Yeah? We broke it. We broke everything. And there's not enough money in this world to buy it back. It can only be paid for by the life of Jesus. And the good news continues, though, because Jesus rose after three days, conquering sin and death, 
Romans 6 tells us that for we, we have been united with him in his likeness of his death, we will also certainly also be, the likeness, be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we're, we're united with him in his death. We're united with him in his resurrection. So we have this hope for the future and we get excited as believers when we read that God is creating the new heavens and the new earth. It's a place where we will dwell with God forever. A little side tangent. Brace, brace yourselves. You know that hymn that we sing, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again? One of my favorite hymns, In Christ Alone. It's one of those things that I think I'm going to ask God when I dwell with him. It's one of those questions like, why did you make broccoli taste like this and bacon taste like this, Right? Why couldn't you make broccoli taste like bacon? And we could have all had tons of broccoli. But this question I'm going to ask him is, how did you rise from the dead? We sing, we've been singing for a long time, Jesus, that we've been singing, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. It's like this idea, like bursting forth, like he just, just shot up from the grave, right? And if you're like me, maybe you're thinking, it's kind of like the two types of people that exist when you wake up. If you have a spouse, usually you're not the same type of waker-uppers. And so when the alarm goes off, are you the ones that press the snooze button and just turn around and just get up slowly as your body allows you to? Or are you like me, as soon as the alarm goes off, you turn it off because you don't want to hear a second more of the alarm and you just shoot right up and you get up and you just get going. I think that Jesus was more like that. He did not want to just roll around in that dark grave. He just got up, and he was up and about. Side tangent, so I'm going to ask him when I see him. But can you even imagine? Can you even imagine such a place can exist? Are you having a hard time being excited about the truth that God is creating again? Maybe your life is going super well. Maybe you just got a huge bonus, or maybe your bonus is on the way. Christmas is looming near. Maybe you got that next promotion that you always wanted. Or as we head into the colder months, you have an all-inclusive vacation planned on the beaches of Hawaii in January. And you're like, there's got to be nothing better than that. So you can't see beyond your January vacation. Or maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum. You're so bogged down by the brokenness of life that you're simply trying to make it to tomorrow. And you find it difficult to hope in anything good beyond just surviving today. Where are you in the spectrum? This is where I want to say and share and ask you to trust me that it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, not because of what I say, but because God tells us it will be an awesome place. We learn that it'll be a place where first, your relationships with everyone, including God, will forever be full of joy and delight. And there will be no more pain and suffering. 
Verses 19 and 20 describes it this way. I, God, will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days. Or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at a hundred years old will be mourned as a young man, and the one who misses a hundred years will be considered cursed. Forever, forever, the state of your relationship with God, your heavenly Father, is described as one of rejoicing and gladness. Maybe you're like me. It's hard to imagine a truly healthy relationship with your parents or extended family. I know it's hard not to transpose your ideas of your earthly father onto God. But I want to encourage you today is I want to encourage you to continue allowing the scriptures, let God's word define who he is. Only when you allow the Bible to teach and define who God is and what he has done for you and how much he loves you, would verses that teach us that God, your heavenly father, will forever rejoice and be glad in us will make sense. He will forever rejoice and be glad in you. This will also be, the new heavens and new earth will also be a place where there'll be no more weeping or crying. These are not talking, these passages here are not talking about happy tears. They're not tears of joy, tears of happy endings. These are talking about tears response to pain and suffering. Look at the example used in verse 20. One of the greatest pain a parent can go through of losing a child will be no more. Our church is blessed to have Many children, our kids' men, is bursting at the seams. But it's yet another reminder for many that we long to hold and love the lives that were lost. But we also remember, without making trivial, with true weight that it carries, that the suffering and tears of Jesus all our pain and sting of death will be eradicated and no more. I know holidays bring up um, different emotions for various reasons, but just thinking about this passage and thinking about our church body and as, as new babies are being born and we celebrate, I know there's many of you that have also um, lost loved ones and lost um, babies. And so I just want to at least just take this moment very briefly and just pray for you guys. Pray for the moms and dads that might be grieving every holiday season, uh, maybe more specifically. So let me pray for you guys. Pray for us. Lord, we are thankful that these passages, the way you describe the new heavens and the new earth exist, one without um, any more tears, one with, where death will be no more. So Lord, would you comfort the hurting? Would you give new hope to those that um, these times bring up lots of pain? 
Lord, would you allow us to draw near to you and see you as a good father who loves. And Lord, that you will take care of your children and you, have, you are preparing for us a wonderful place to dwell with you forever. In your name we pray, amen. These passages also teach us that the new heavens and the new earth will also be a place where your labor, your labor will always be fruitful. Read with me from verses 21 through 23. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruits. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. No fruitless work. I try to think of some of the work that our, a lot of our church body does. So for, for you engineers or software engineers or coders, this one's for you. It's like typing code all day at your desk. Type, 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 type away. Look at the monitor for eight hours. And at the end of the day, you press run or press enter, and everything that you coded works just as it should, flawlessly. Or for you artists, musicians, you compose a song. And the first time you hear it being played, it sounds perfect. Nothing has to be rearranged. No note has to be changed or removed or added. Or if you garden, or if you don't garden, you know how delicate seedlings can be and the care you need to put in to make them grow. My least favorite, all those nasty aphids, the fungus, the thorns and thistles. I tell my kids often the thorns and thistles are a work of the enemy. It's because of the brokenness of the world. It's not going to be there anymore in the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be like this. You plant, you see it grow, you harvest, and you eat. There will be no more killing houseplants because you water too much. You can't keep succulents alive because for some reason you kill even succulents. <laughs> There'll be no more. Lastly, the Bible passage teaches us that the earth and everything in it will live in perfect peace. Verses 24 to 25. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. But the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. How many of you are good at completing your spouse or your friend's sentences or thoughts? Any of you good at that? Well, not many hands are being raised, so we have plenty of years of marriage and friendship, so let's work on that. But I know many of you are. Many of you do complete the thoughts and sentences of your spouse or friends. 
But looking at verse 24, you see that happening. There's this perfect consonance or harmony that even before we call, God will answer. And even before we speak, God will hear. There's no semblance of a divide, no barrier between us and God. There's nothing standing in the way. Communication is clear. There's nothing that will hinder us from God. Not only is there a restoration between God and people, there is a restoration of God and creation because we know that creation was also affected by sin. So things start to look different. The mind and body of nature is also changing. Have you guys watched Lion King? Yes? Raise your hands if you've seen Lion King. It's a total knockoff. Disney just knocking off things that already exist. Simba and Timon and Pumbaa being friends with each other. Where do you think they got that? Isaiah 65. (laughs) The lamb and the wolf feeding together. (laughs) Lion King is not original. Tell that to your children. The praise fear of the predator has changed to that of a friendship. It's so amazing. These backwards or upside down kingdom type of stuff is happening. We also see that the enemy is done away with. What God said he would do to deal with the serpent is prophetically addressed here for the future. No more deceiver. No more tempter. The serpent will eat dust. He's done away with. You will not see or be affected by the enemy anymore. Finally, we get to see that it will also be a place where God dwells with us and we dwell with God in perfect peace. That is kind of the conclusion of this passage. Not only is this something that we hope for, but one day this will be our new normal forever. So what do you believe? Church, what do you believe? Do you believe that this is it? This life is it? And you're supposed to live your best life now? Make every day a Friday? Do you believe that you'll be good enough to reach some sort of nirvana at some point? Do you live as though tomorrow is guaranteed? Or do you believe that there is more to life than this world? Do you believe that Jesus will one day come back and we will forever dwell with him in the new heavens and the new earth? You have to be excited. You can't read passages like this and not be excited if you believe in God. But if you're not a Christian, a new life with Christ is awaiting for you. You have to recognize that you're the one breaking all the Legos all the time and killing the plants There's nothing you can do except to confess and repent of your sins and see the brokenness as it is and receive the free gift of salvation through Christ and become part of God working to create his kingdom here and now. But if you are a Christian, there's three things. Number one is this, receive the hope God provides through his promises. 
I think oftentimes when we think of a future, it can get us into a, maybe a, a mindset of just let's hunker down and make it to the finish line, right? It's not what God's calling us to do. It's not a time to hunker down or hide to the finish line. It's God calling us to start living as citizens of the new heaven and the new earth now. It's a call to love God, love people, work hard for all the glory of God. But at the same time, reminding yourself often that your ultimate hope is not to be found in this lifetime. So receive. But it also means that you go and share the good news. Be the messengers of hope to those that are truly hopeless. You know the destination that you're going to if you're a believer in Christ, but you also know the destination that people are going to if they are not in Christ. So be the messengers that bring hope and help them get to a greater destination than where they're headed. And lastly, I want you to practice daydreaming. Not the daydreaming about the ice cream flavors, but what I'm talking about is often imagining the new heavens and the new earth as described in scripture. That leads you to praying for God's kingdom to come here and now. When you imagine the new heavens and the new earth, and you think about the way God has created things and how the way they're going to be, you start to pray for those things to be here and now. Those are the things that allows you to pray with creative imagination for God to work in a powerful, powerful way. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the good news Thank you for the hope that you give us. Lord, this description of the new heavens and the new earth. I think we could just read it every day and look forward to it. I can't believe, Lord, it's hard for me to imagine, so I confess that this will be a new normal. It seems so far out of reach. But Lord, It is because of your power and your glory that this is powerful and it's able to be true. So Lord, help us to have hope, help us to have joy, and help us to have just godly imagination for these things, Lord. Lead us and guide us and help us to share this good news and be the messengers of hope to all those around us. In your name we pray, amen.